Well, hello everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and it's showtime here again in Berks County, beautiful North Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley, here on Saturday morning, right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL. We're here every Saturday because you've identified us as a, an oasis of truth, folks, and you tune in every week to listen to our prudent, no fighting, and thoughtful discussion on the issues of the day. We're going to be addressing those issues of the day, concerns to people here in Southeast Pennsylvania, Delaware Valley. Well, folks, I want to remind people today uh, a little bit about the uh, about the uh, the uh, what, what what we had with the Ministry of Truth. We had the Ministry of Truth, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about that and how that was going on. The Ministry of Truth. The former disinformation governance board. I want to get into that a little bit. I also want to talk about uh, Joe Biden's. Uh, I also want to get into a little bit on Joe Biden's Ukraine policy, and uh, I want to talk a little about the GOP's future. And I want to talk a little bit about some polling that came out recently, and and uh, a whole lot more, folks. So welcome to our show, and let's jump right into it. Folks, let's first off talk a little bit about John Fetterman. I think, uh, I don't know if anybody's taken over his office because, uh, it's really kind of hard to say. I mean, uh, he can't do what he's just announced he's going to do. I think what's interesting is he introduced legislation while hospitalized for depression. I thought that was interesting. Uh, but it wasn't he that introduced it. I think it was his staff. This is interesting. So the guy had a stroke. We all know that. And, uh, you know, what happens with a stroke. And of course, he ended up with some uh, mental impairment, okay, and uh, cognitive impairment he ended up with. And of course, you could hear it and understand it uh, when you're listening to the debates. However, over a million people already voted. And so he had already uh, bamboozled a bunch of people into voting for him, not realizing the man had a stroke. And so he gets in there. And of course, you know, you wonder, okay, if now, now you've got a guy that's a senator in Pennsylvania who many wouldn't trust driving their car or maybe even running a leaf blower. So here's a guy, you know, and uh, now all of a sudden he's got legislation. Uh, he's introduced on this train disaster, this uh, this train that derailment and controlled burn here in East Palestine, Ohio. And I know what's interesting is uh, because people reached out to Fetterman's office uh, inquiring if he remains in Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, if he made a decision to co-sponsor the bill. They wanted to talk... And of course, uh, his spokesman comes on and says, uh, no comment other than, other than, uh, he's continuing to receive care and there just isn't any major updates. So here's a guy who's being treated for depression. He's got brain damage. It looks like his staff put something out. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, interesting because, like I said, his, his, uh, you know, his spokesman made a comment that they don't have a lot to update people with, uh, since there's no real news to report except that, Fetterman was doing okay and working with the wonderful doctors and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, he, uh, he, he talks about how, how how he's been visiting with staff and family daily. And, of course, I don't know how he's visiting with his family because his family is out of the country. I don't know if he's visiting with his Zoom meetings or whatnot, okay? But, uh, you know, whatever. They're, they're talking about how he's, you know, I mean, nobody's really talked to him. Nobody but his staff has talked to him. All right? So, you know, I mean, uh, what ended up happening was just to update our our listeners here. I mean, uh, you know, he, he, uh, after the, you know, he suffered a major stroke days that days before the primary last May, then he was hospitalized on February 8th at the, after feeling lightheaded. So he just got hospitalized a few weeks ago. Okay. And then, then a little, a little late after that, he, uh, 
he admitted himself for depression uh, to some sort of a hospital, if you will, because he has depression. I, I think there's a whole lot more to it. Um, you know, this is what I think is interesting to me. And, and again, nobody's really talked to it. Okay. I mean, you, you wonder, I mean, I mean, the guy's hospitalized in the medical observation and he's apparently somehow joining legislative efforts to co-signing legislation. I think that's important for us to list, ask that question. Who's talked to better? Who's talked to him? Who's, who's met with? Him? I mean, you know, you, you have to understand that, 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 that this guy is apparently doing something that people didn't think he could be able to do. Okay. You know, is, is he, well, is he able to do this? Is he, is he coherent? Is he having discussions with people? You know, what's eyebrow raising is, is he, is Fetterman's <clears throat> saying that he's joined the efforts while being sidelined due to clinical depression and, of course, dizziness. And I, I mean, he could have had a stroke, but if you ask somebody, if, if, if you ask anybody on his Twitter account or anybody at his, well, anybody, any of his staff on Twitter, from what I understand, they'll, they'll block you. You know, the guy's been hospitalized twice and, we're only 100 days into Congress's new session, and the doctors know some of which were drafted by the campaign donors attested his health to his health despite his refusal to disclose his medical records during the campaign. They were rendered worthless when reports trickled out that he blew a fuse during a party retreat last month. You know, Fetterman can't comprehend what others tell him, okay, lightening, uh, lightening it to how the teachers in the Peanuts cartoon song, we, we all remember hearing that. The guy should have dropped out and recovered. Instead, he opted to press his luck and might have, I, he, I mean, there's a good chance he has permanent brain damage. If the guy had another stroke, if he did, we all know what strokes can do to people. They can be debilitating. Okay. They can be debilitating unbelievably. Okay. Um, again, is he, is he coherent? Is he cognizant? Is he, is he late? Is he bedridden? I mean, we don't know. We, you know, and, and I think it's, it's like I said, it, they, the, the guy's, his communications directors out there saying there's not a lot of whole lot to update, but but somehow he's giving us he's co-sponsoring legislation. I just thought that was interesting, and that's the part that I think we have to understand. How is he doing? That? You know, it gets into you know. I mean, do we believe he actually co-signed this part as bipartisan legislation to improve freight safety standards? You know, I mean, I'm not going to believe it unless his office wants to clarify, but they don't. I mean, who's running the office? Who's signing off on the lawmaking efforts? That's what I want to know. Because it can't possibly be this guy. And that's the way I look at it. I, I don't see how it is better. You know, we have an unelected imposter serving as our state senator. And I think that's a scandal. I think there's something to be said of this. I don't think Fetterman is with it. I don't think he's able to do these things. I think there's a lot to be said of this. Uh, you know, nobody's really talked to the guy. Nobody but his own staff. And then all of a sudden, blam, he comes out with, a you know, legislation that he co-signs, the co-authors. I, I just think it's interesting because we all know what happened. You know, I was uh, listening to some legislators that uh, signed on uh, to Act 77, and they did it without reading the legislation. Well, who 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 wrote it? The staffers wrote it. So the staffers write the legislation. They they put legislation out there. They write it. The candidates don't read it. Anyway, I just think it's interesting. And we have to understand, if this goes on for like August or September, from what I understand, our communist governor can appoint another communist to the seat. Now, just so we're clear, it's only until the next election. There'll be two people running. I believe we're going to find that there's two people running for Fetterman's seat. If Fetterman is out before the summer, officially, they're going to have to have a special election. They're going to have to do something. I don't know. I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. But the people of the state of Pennsylvania voted for a guy that has brain damage, literally. Just like some of the people in this country that allegedly voted for uh, Joe O. Biden as the... Uh, 
the leader of the free world. I mean, uh, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, it was reported the other day, and I don't know if this this was not exactly, uh, you know, corroborated. Okay, it has not been it has not been corroborated yet, but it was reported on by anonymous sources that Joe O. Biden was seen in his car as he pulled up to a mailbox ordering a cheeseburger, fries, and a large diet coke. Now I don't know that hasn't been corroborated, but it was reported by anonymous sources. Okay. The U.S. mailbox was thought to be by Joe Biden a a fast food order for a drive-through mechanism. So you know we we have to understand that there's a lot more to O Biden than meets the eye, and uh, or a lot less to O Biden, I should say, than meets the eye. Uh, you know he he's not. I mean this this country only in the Democrat Party can people get elected with cognitive decline. Only there can they get elected with cognitive decline, and that's the truth of it. That's the truth that we have to realize. Uh, you know, I wanted to get into uh, the the Bob Casey. I guess Bob Casey's got some problems now. The other U.S. senator here in Pennsylvania. Okay, this is a guy who has three family members whose activities raise corruption concerns. There was a Stop Trading on Corruption on Congressional Knowledge or Stock Act. It was a basically an act that came out to stop congressional trading with insider knowledge, and it requires that members of Congress or their family members file disclosure forms within thirty days of a notice or within 45 days of a transaction of any stock so that they are your significant other or dependent trade. That's what they do. Now, one of Casey's dependent children, I guess, uh, did not do this. And there's a problem right now. And I guess it had to do with the uh, First Energy stock or First Energy Corporation. Now, Casey didn't file a periodic transaction report as reported by the as required by federal law to be filed within 45 days of the sale until eight and a half months later on May 15th, I guess he filed it. So he's got some problems. And, uh, you know, it's just, this is all going to come out in the, in the next upcoming election. I think what we have to realize is a lot more to, I think, what happens with people and why they, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting when you look at, um, how corruption takes place. You know, bureaucrats in Washington is such a sleazy game. And they're it, it, they're all into quid pro quo, which is Latin for something for something. Um, you know, these people are in it for what they can get out of it. All right, they they are not millionaires when they get in, or they might be millionaires, but they become tenfold rich when they leave, or more, hundredfold rich. They they increase their 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 net worth by by a whole lot. Okay, that's what they end up doing. They're in there, and they they've left by increasing their net worth. And I think that that's really telling what happens to people. Why Why do they go into politics? Why do people go in? It's all about power, all about money, all about how they can increase their net worth. You know, I mean, Joe Biden got in. We all know about the scandals there. And obviously, we know about his mental decline. We all see it. It's on display all the time. It's all on display. You know, uh, but right now, he's got his, I guess, right now, they're in the Democrat Party, the lieutenants of the party are collecting prominent Democrats they're wanting to, they're wanting to, to get a board, if you will, assemble a national advisory board to, to, uh, to basically, they're, they're, they're going to try to get this guy reelected. They don't know. They, they hope to tamp down internal divisions during what could, which going to likely be a turbulent election, especially as, as many in the Democrat, the Democrat party of our former or future presidential candidates. A lot of these people are, they're, they're just concerned about what can happen here. Uh, they want to, um, Biden, like I said, they're going to get this advisory board together, and uh, they're going to try to get people like Halfwit, Richard Halfwit on there. They're going to try to get uh, uh, Elizabeth uh, Pocahontas Warren on there. Uh, they want to get uh, 
Gavin Newsom on there. I mean, uh, socialists there. They want to get all these great socialists on here uh, who, who are more sympathetic to uh, Biden's 2024 bid. That's what they want. You got, I, I just think when you go down the list of the of the of the who's who in the in the Democrat Communist Party, they're all communists and they're all like looking to get old Biden reelected. But they need they're concerned about unity. They know there's going to be a real fist fight in the Democrat primary. Okay, so again, they plan to create this advisory board as the establishment media have questioned Biden's cognitive abilities and his viability due to all these problems. And uh, he's 80, going to be 100, I think, by the time the election rolls around, or 82, I think, on an on normal day. He's going to hit 86 that makes it all the way of the second term. Bottom line is he's, he's really, uh, they're, they're just wanting to put somebody else other than him in there. And this is what they're going to be up against. They're not likely going to have a lot of success in this. You know, I think it's really, really telling what, what's compelling on this is that you have, oh, Biden right now is, I mean, the, the Democrats know they're weak. They know they didn't really win the election. They know that the guy got, allegedly got in there. Even even if you don't, even if you don't believe in the fraud that took place, even if that's not something you're actually watching or believing in, you at least know that the man literally caught lightning in a bottle of Trump, Okay. And they understand that he's a weak candidate. They know they understand that what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now is a big problem. They see that the polling information that's coming out, and they they understand that there's a lot of problems. I mean, they 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 see the media going easy on the guy. They see that the guy loses his train of thought. You know, he can't stick to he can't stick to a point. And you know, they they just don't want this guy leading the party. They just don't want this. Okay, so establishment media polling sites have highlighted the dilemma. And again, it's suggesting that Democrats aren't drilled with the idea of having this guy run as their nominee. Only 31% of these, or Democrat-leaning independents, said they want the party to renominate the guy. Like 58% said, no way. Now, that's not exactly very encouraging, okay? And that's kind of like what happened in 1980. The Democrats had an unpopular president with Jimmy Carter, and uh, they had a, they actually had an aggressive primary in 1980. I remember as a, as a, as a high school kid, I remember the actual, you know, the actual campaign. Frank Church was in that campaign. I remember him. He was one of the Democrats in there and others. I, I just remember him particularly. But I mean, they, there was a lot of these in the race. And uh, I just remember uh, when they settled it, you know, and, and Jimmy Carter got the nomination again. He ran in 1980 against a very popular Ronald, I should say, a very unknown Ronald Reagan. And Reagan, Reagan won 45 states. Carter only won five states. Okay, so, I mean, Reagan trounced him. It was an absolute trounce. It was a horrible economy, and it was a horrible president. And Reagan asked the question, um, do you believe you're better off today than you were four years ago? And everybody was like, no way, get this guy out. I mean, we were watching the Iranian uh, hostage crisis. For our listeners that don't know what that was, that was when our U.S. embassy in Tehran was overrun by by terrorists in Iran, okay, in Tehran. They went over the wall. They went down there. They took over the... The embassy, they, they literally took it, took it over and, and locked it down, uh, took hostages and, uh, those hostages were held until, uh, Jimmy Carter lost the election. Ronald Reagan was being sworn in and Iran was releasing the hostages. It was as simple as that. They knew they had problems. You know, Jimmy Carter was a weak leader. This is a guy that was just a weak president, weak minded individual, weak minded president. Jimmy Carter was, was not an individual that had, uh, that had the ability to lead the free world, okay? This is a guy that was wringing his hands when the terrorists went over the walls, and he didn't know what to do. And his wife was yelling at him, from what I remember hearing stories, yelling, saying, Jimmy, Jimmy, you got to do something, do something. 
mine the harbors, do something. And he just didn't know what to do. I mean, what maybe he should have done was allow the Marines to open fire on those people coming over the fence. I think that might have been better off. But whatever the case is, I mean, it was horrible that they didn't foresee this as an issue in Tehran. And obviously, it became an issue and uh, it had hostages. Now, I think this thing with the Ukraine is a big problem. I mean, Joe Biden uh, is not providing leadership there. I mean, instead of trying to de-escalate the war and trying to trying to bring it down and trying to bring it down a notch or two, he's he's increasing it. He's trying to he's trying to torque down, a, you know, in in double down, and he's trying to to bring about an increased effort, an increased scope, if you will. He's sending tanks over there, things like that. And uh, I mean, this is I mean, half this country believes this 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 war is a complete stalemate. Half this country believes that, you know, uh, no, it like I said, polling right now. What's interesting is when you look at the polling, the majority of U.S. voters take the news media as going easy on Biden, as less aggressive in questioning Biden than they're than they were questioning Trump. I mean, that's the truth of it. Everybody knows. It. I mean, fifty-one percent that they said the corporate media is less aggressive towards Biden. I mean, I I, I think that's very telling. I mean, people know that they're they're easier, and you can see it. You can honestly see it. Fifty-six percent of likely voters say the media's bias is getting worse. I mean, it's it's a it's a big deal. Fifty six percent of likely voters say the bias is bad. Everybody sees it. I mean, everybody sees it. That's that's the thing. Okay. I mean, I think three quarters of the GOP voters see the bias is bad or worse, and sixty percent of independents see it. It's it's horrible. Everybody sees it. Just looking at the polling information we see here, and uh, it's just telling. Uh, you know, but this is what the Democrats understand, and so Biden's not going to get a free pass in a new election cycle. So. You know, and, and Trump is, I've been watching some of the stuff Trump puts out. He is going to be all over this. There's nothing that, that everything that Obama has done is indefensible. You know, you, you look at his, you know, you look at people in his cabinet, you know, the incompetency that's on full display. I mean, you got Word Salad Harris, okay? Like Word Salad Harris, who's like extremely incompetent. When you listen to some of her word salads, that the fact that she can't make sense when she's speaking sometimes, and again, coming to her full thought. Of course, that's part of the course for this administration. Then you have Anthony Blinken, Winken, Blinken, and Nod as the secretary, uh, you know, as the secretary of state. Okay. And again, uh, very, uh, I, I don't, I don't see this guy leading, leading any charge to, to, to settle, to try to settle this Ukraine problem. I mean, you got the secretary of the treasury, uh, Janet Yellen. I mean, she's actually out there now declaring that we need to have more, more, uh, support for the Ukraine. So she's out there, Janet Yellen. Okay, so she's actually assuming the role of Blake and Nod, making Blake and Nod, and saying, "Okay, well, we're going to make sure that our our support for the Ukraine is, you know, is unconditional." Okay, so the Secretary of the Treasury is weighing in on this. The Secretary of Defense, Mister Lloyd Austin Powers, uh, he is another one who, I mean, I don't see the competency there. Again, what happened in the what's happening in the Ukraine and what happened in Afghanistan? I mean, you've got. What happened in Afghanistan? You got the Secretary of State showed his full display, uh, put on full display his incompetence. Lloyd Austin put on his incompetency blanket. They, they, they all, they all put on full display their incompetency with that. Okay. So we saw what happened in Afghanistan, the surrender there. They watched that happen, you know, and then you have, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland again, who's, thank goodness he's not on the Supreme Court. Okay. And, and he, he's, you know, he, 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 he dispatched U.S. Marshals to defend the, the uh, 
Supreme Court justices, instead of arresting people, instead of arresting the, the organizers and the protesters, he just dispatched marshals to guard their houses. I mean, this is this is the double standard that this guy's heading up. This is this is the No Justice Department, the Department of No Justice, Merrick Garland's EAG of that. You know, and then of course, yeah, you go down the line here and you can actually see that you have the uh you actually have the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, okay? And uh he went down there. Remember his his competency when he goes down there to uh East Palestine to tell all those people that are suffering down there with the train derailment and all the chemical spills, trying to blame all that on wheel bearings and tr- I should say on, on not having the, the special pneumatic brakes. And of course the real experts came out and clearly said it was in fact the fact that the wheel bearings overheated. They would have overheated with or without those brakes. So Pete Buttigieg is wrong. So again, he puts his incompetency on full display. You got the Secretary of Energy, okay, Jennifer Granholm. Now, she was an appointment for that, and she talked about how electric cars would solve our energy crisis. Now, this is an important, this is important to state point I want to make here, because the Secretary of Energy is, I, I should say, the Secretary of, of no energy, okay? Well, the Secretary of windmill energy, the Secretary of solar panel energy. She's not the Secretary of, she is not the Secretary of Effective Efficient Energy. As she talked about electric cars and electric cars, uh, you know, being the solving, if you will, for global warming. And of course, the, uh, the energy crisis. She says, I'll drive my electric car right to the charging station as everybody's paying $5 a gallon for gas. So she's mocking people at the gas pumps for paying all that money for gas if she's driving her $100,000 car. So this is her, her, again, her incompetency on full display. Okay, Secretary of Education, okay, Miguel Cardona. Uh, this guy is, is leading the charge on, on, um, you know, woke education in our schools. Uh, the fact that our, our children right now in the, in, in Baltimore and Philadelphia and Chicago and all children all across the country, not just, not just the big cities, but are not, our children are not, uh, proficient in reading and math. I mean, right now the scores are lower than they've ever been. So the Secretary of Lack of Education, uh, Miguel Cardona now is trying to figure out how to reset the measures, if you will, the calibrates, if you recalibrate the metrics so that people, uh, you know, the, so that you can't compare the measures next year with the measures this year, the metrics this year. If he recalibrates and changes the metrics, then we, we lose track of how previous measures were. Folks, we can know whether a person can read or write. You can see that. You can honestly see on math. Uh, it's interesting. You talk to some people on, um, and, you know, they can't do math in their head. They can't figure math out in their head. Well, why is that? Why is that? Because they're not teaching math. That's why. Then you have our Secretary of Homeland Security. I think that's very interesting. Alejandro Mayorkas, who declares that our border is secure. Okay. That's, that's, so he puts his incompetency on full display by declaring our border is secure. And, uh, you know, again, getting back a little bit to the secretary of the No Justice Department, Merrick Garland, as he goes after parents on school going, going after parents that are going to school board meetings. I mean, think about that too. But then you, you've got all these people in his cabinet, basically cabinet level positions already out there. He's got the, uh, the weaponized EPA and, uh, Michael Reagan of North Carolina. Uh, this guy's an activist. I mean, he's, he's an activist. Okay. And, uh, He's, uh, his whole career is a, is a, is that of an environmental regulator. I mean, he began his career in 1998 as an environmental regulator. All right. And, and again, he's, he's all for it. This is what he does. And, uh, 
how did he wants to advance environmental justice, whatever that means. Uh, again, he, he aims to reduce private sector greenhouse gas emissions and ultimately get rid of automobiles, so get gas-powered cars. Uh, again, this is their plan. Their plan is to outlaw cars. This is what these people want to do. And this is the guy that's leading his department, his department of uh, weaponized uh, Department of, of, of Environmental Protection. And again, he's very incompetent. I mean, that these people are, are not in these jobs for competency. They're in there for other reasons, okay? They're in there for other reasons. And it's just, it's really telling about what happens with some of these people and why are they in these positions. But this is what a mediocrity looks like. So you put a guy in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency, and what he wants to do is outlaw gas cars. Let's put him in charge of that. So he's going to weaponize the EPA, and he'll likely work very closely with the lack of energy secretary, uh, Jennifer Graham, and they'll figure out how to outlaw cars, and then they'll work in, you know, along with the Secretary of Education, uh, Miguel Cardona, so that we can figure out how to keep all this out of the curriculum so that our kids are learning exactly what these people are trying to do to make their lives more miserable. I mean, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. And of course, you know, they put people, uh, you know, they put people uh, in charge of national intelligence and, uh, and whatnot that, uh, quite frankly, uh, don't have capabilities for it. They just don't. And I just think it's important that we understand this because what we're seeing a lot of anymore is we're just seeing that uh, people are getting jobs for one reason or another. They're just not competent people. And you're seeing the lack of competency right now in this in this uh, in this administration. And you know it, it's going to happen. Is they're going to bring all these? They're going to bring all of this out. People are going to be looking to make a change. I mean, look, look what's going on right now in the Ukraine policy is very telling, and I don't want to miss it because it's happening. And you know, it's it's happening. What you're seeing right now in the Ukraine Ukraine policy is bad. You know, oh, Biden's escalated everything in Ukraine. This is what they're doing. They, they they've escalated. It, you know. It's just bad policy. It's bad policy. And, you know, World War Three is on the break. I mean, the Biden initiative is basically funding a war package. Okay. That's what they want to do. You know, they want to fund the war package, you know, and they're, they're, they're going after Russia and they're just basically trying to, they're, they're ignoring the fact that they're going to end up with a war. I mean, this is, this is where I'm at all this. They're, they're ignoring the obvious, you know, they're, they're, oh, I wanted to get a, you know, well, before I get into this, I just wanted to, to highlight the fact that. You know, even Mitch McConnell right now is on board with this. He wants to, uh, he's on board with one Biden initiative, which is funding this war package. I just think that's very interesting as well. Um, you know, you know, getting back to this a little bit with the war, and I just think it's under, we need to understand that the poking and prodding of the, of the, of the Russian bear is very, very telling. We have to understand that this is what's going on here. They're missing, they're missing the obvious here. Okay. They, they're, you have a real problem with what's going on in the Ukraine. And you don't have anybody, and I mean anybody that knows what they can do. And they're calling people isolationists is what they're doing, okay? So if you question anything, then if you question anything on his Ukraine policy, you're an isolationist. But it, look, it's not exactly a sign of a healthy de- de- democratic discourse. It's virtually impossible to ask them when you can't ask a critical question, and that's the whole thing. Bottom line is, it's not being an isolationist to want to avoid World War III. That's all there is to it, you know? Because... Before the war, the Ukraine was regularly slotted in somewhere beneath Burma, and Mexico, and Hungary. It's on all those democracy matrices, left wingers used to love. And it really isn't any kind of liberal democracy. It really is. You know, Ukraine still shutters churches and, re- and restricts the free press. They do that. I mean, you know, again, they're not exactly the, the bastion of freedom. Over there, they're not. 
They've never been a functioning democracy. And so people defend its borders and sovereignty in the face of powerful expansionist aggressors. I mean, I guess that's what they're, they're claiming here. But a person is capable of rooting for Vladimir Putin to be embarrassed, beaten and weakened without accepting the historical revisionism, highly idealized version of Ukraine. The fact is, Ukraine is not exactly totally innocent of this. But I think the thing of it is, is that Putin did the dirty deed. Putin did the task. Putin went in there and invaded. But he was provoked. He went in there and was provoked. Okay, he was provoked. And that's the thing. I mean, Biden said a slight incursion, you know, and, and they all knew that Putin was concerned about Ukraine getting into, you know, getting into NATO. And they just played on all that. They they goaded Putin into doing it. Now, like I said, Putin did this thing, but they did. Now you've got Zelensky wanting to, wanting to ride a Jeep into the Kremlin. Okay. I mean, now, now you've got Zelensky trying to say, let's take this fight right to Moscow. You know, what's happening is they're, 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 they're building up favor for the war in the Russian, within the Russian population. That's what's concerning me. The Russians and the Russian citizens are viewing this war as a fight against NATO in the West. You know, that's, that's the whole point. And we got to be careful of this because this could, this could, this could get worse really fast. I mean, I think Biden deserves part of the blame and I think he does. You know, he does. I mean, Biden spearheaded recent efforts after eight years of purported Republican antagonism towards Russia, I guess. And so he, he spearheaded reset efforts and he led the administration's efforts to readmit Russia's access to the WTO. Right, it was Biden who claimed Mitt Romney was totally out of touch on Russia, but it was Barack Hussein Obama who told Dmitry Medvedev that uh, he'd have more flexibility after 2012. Remember that? Yeah, we all remember that. He'll have well, more flexibility after the election. And it was Putin who likely saw all this as weakness and invaded Crimea. Remember, he went in there on a long weekend and took it right after after the election, and of course, the flexibility that Obama had after the election. All right, we'll let Putin have Crimea and a, and a player to be named later. Obama did not arm the Ukrainian resistance back then. He probably just gave blankets, remember? Because he needed Russia to pursue the most important foreign policy agenda to him, which is the Iran deal. He won that Iran deal. You know, and again, you look at this, if, if, if Obama had, had not appeased Putin, I wonder where things would be today. And Biden was part of that. You know, whatever the case, okay, with decades of foreign policy incompetence on his resume, oh, Biden only recently cost, you know, only recently costing 13 American servicemen their lives in that Afghanistan surrender. We all remember that. And there, you know, there's, there's, there's those on, you know, I mean, and, and you've got, well, you got America first being called isolationist because we, we reject all of this. What I reject is a reject and escalation of World War III, folks. You know, there are those who let politics cloud their assessment of Putin. Then there are those who have allowed conspiracy theories that were cooked up during 2016 election to warp their understanding of the Russian power. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just think that these people are believing their own dribble. If Ukraine's cause is, is the right cause, then our opaque, uh, you know, our, our opaque but open, open-ended commitment is, you know, if it's necessary, then there should be no reason to chill the debate. Why don't we have a more robust debate? That's the way I look at it. They're shutting things down. They don't want to have this discussion. You know, they don't want to have this discussion. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about what Trump did to the Republican Party. I think we all know what happened. The Republican Party is being slowly transformed from the from the Bordeaux sipping party of of, uh, you know, of, uh, of, you know, just wine and champagne into the beer drinking party of the working class reptile bus belters and sun belters. <laughs> 
and it's getting some steam. They're getting some steam. Okay, the GOP's divorce from the Chamber of Commerce over irreconcilable cultural differences, I think, accelerates a golden opportunity has emerged to recast the Republican Party, not not in a 1980s era image of supply side tax cutting, but in the revamped image of the party that focuses on supporting parental rights, protecting vulnerable children from uh, from uh, you know reeducation, if you shall, indoctrination in our schools. You know, you think about what's going on right now with this unsecure border and all the fentanyl that's coming over, and parents and people, Americans, understand the number one killer of Americans between 18 to 45 years old is fentanyl, and every grain of it comes over that Mexican border. You got the Senate Judiciary Committee Republicans pointing out everything out on them. They're, they're spelling it out. You got a hapless Attorney General Garland trying to make defense for the uh, for the fact that he's not prosecuted. You know, and this is what it comes out to. But 37% of Republicans consider opioids, opioids and fentanyl to be the single greatest threat to the U.S. public. I mean, that's, that's the facts. And, uh, you know, besides securing the U.S.-Mexico border, I guess, trying to get it done once and for all, the most effective action the government could take on this drug front, an illegal drug front, would be to formally designate the cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. So what happened was a coalition of 21 Republican attorneys generals sent a formal letter to O'Biden exhorting him to uh, to instruct the State Department to do precisely that and and again, aside from fentanyl, which has brought annual drug overdose deaths to a horrifying 106,000 in 1992. I mean, you give me 106,000 compared to like almost none of 1992. So here we are, literally, okay, 30 years later, and we're, we're, we have over 102,000 more drug deaths compared to that. I mean, we only had like four or 5,000 back in 1982. Now they got 106,000. There's no greater threat, folks, to children than a very, than this woke ideology and the varying tentacles of it. And the uh, government is a destructive peddler of wokeism. And again, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, executive order after executive order demonstrates that uh, corporate wokeism is, is, is a huge threat to our families and our kids. But drugs and, and all of this stuff is being allowed due to all this. You know, the imperative, you will, in order to help parents protect their children from this is, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they, they got to break free from stale libertarian bromides that act act to exercise the woke demon from uh corporate america i think that's what it comes down to you know you had i guess ron DeSantis in florida has been instructive on this front i mean he's he's including his championing of a florida stop woke act i think that's home run which targets workplace wokeism and perhaps most illustratively his much publicized 2022 fight with the walt disney com- company over disney support for elementary school gender ideology and indoctrination and uh I guess this past week, he had a formal abolition of Disney's semi-autonomous Reedy Creek Improvement District in Central Florida. He took to the Wall Street Journal on Tuesday. The next day, he explained that the moon's necessity. He says that the regrettable upshot of woke ascendancy is that the publicly traded corporations have become combatants in, in battles over American politics and culture, almost invariably siding with leftist causes, according Accordingly, policies that benefit corporate America don't necessarily serve the interests of America's people and economy. So I'm going to try to translate that. The, the somewhat uh, apocryphal uh, quote often attributed to Calvin Coolidge that the business of America as business is no longer active, it ever was. The Fortune 500 should take note of that. 
Because I'll tell you what, woke business and woke industry is there. The fights against transgender surgeries for minors and big tech addictions are two other powerful examples of what a uh, more hands-on, culturally pugnacious Paris and children's first GOP candidate should prioritize. I can tell you, folks, the older corporate-centric GOP was a party of openness and eschewed using statecraft to impose limitations. The newer, the, the Paris children-centric GOP has to embrace the more frequent imposition of legal limitations and outright bans in the name of common good. We need to understand that we have to embrace this. And again, uh, what's interesting is that I guess Mississippi's governor, Tate Reeves, made the Magnolia State the eighth to fully ban this affirming care. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, Tennessee, uh, Bill Lee made the volunteer state the first state to affirm paying drag shows. You know, and, and again, they're, they're doing this too. All these states are coming out saying this isn't going to happen here. You know, and, and you have on the federal level, Josh Hawley, uh, he's a Republican out of Missouri. He just pushed for an investigation of the Washington University uh, Transgender Center at the St. Louis Children's Hospital after, after a whistleblower provided uh, viscerally shocking details to uh, the free press last month. And uh, he's he's related post-whistleblower protection of our kids are, are you know, are, are, you know would, would, would help create a private right of action for individuals who are harmed by this type of care. I think that's very, very important. You know, again, the future of the GOP is to get on the right side of these issues. And I think that's where I'm at. And I, you know, and, and again, I want to get a little bit into the incompetency. I, I talked a little bit about Biden's cabinet and the incompetency thereof. Well, his FAA nominee couldn't answer a single question about aviation. I thought that was telling. Okay, so uh, Phil Washington is, is Biden's nominee to serve as administration of the FAA. And he could not answer one question about aviation. I thought that was interesting. So, I mean, he could not dispel doubts about his ability to run America's civil aviation system and keep its citizens safe when they fly. I think that's what it comes down to. Ted Cruz raised concerns about this guy's experience and resume, suggesting that Obama is playing politics rather than prioritizing safety and efficiency of America's air transportation system. Washington's previous gigs have also seen accusations of wasteful spending and mismanagement of resources as you know, as was, I, I think, you know, this is what we all know. We, we've seen this out there. And uh, it's abundantly clear as uh, as this guy testified before the Senate Commerce Committee. And Ted Budd of North Carolina asked this guy questions that, that an FAA administrator should know. I mean, not only did this guy, Washington, not only did he fail to impress the senators with his answers, he had no answers. In fact, it was brutal, folks. It was brutal. First, the guy was asked a basic question about what airspace designation requires pilots to have an, a an ADS-B transponder. And Bud says, what air airspace requires an ADS-B transponder? And Washington says, not sure I can answer that question right now. Okay, so this is a basic question about air airspace designation. I think that's interesting. Okay, he goes, well, maybe not everybody knows this. The second question also dealt with airspace designations created by the FAA. And so, uh, again, here's the next question. So what are the six types of special use aircraft that appear on FAA charts? And then Washington, sorry, Senator, I can't answer that question either. So now it seems like Washington has maybe never even looked at an FAA chart. So first he, you know, he doesn't know what the designations are. And now he doesn't, now he's never even looked at a chart, the FAA chart. You know, for, and for anybody, and just for our listeners, for those at home, or if, if if Washington himself is hearing our show right now, if he needs a study guide, the six special use airspace designations, if you will, are prohibited, restricted, warning, 
military operations alert in national security areas. Now, I, I mean, I, I did look that up. I mean, of course, I'm not running for the FAA. The, the, I, I'm not the guy that's uh, that's trying to uh, run the FAA. Okay, so I mean, you know, you think about it. You know, this is what you're looking at. Okay, so you got to know that this guy should be able to answer these questions. That's the thing that I think is is compelling. Okay. Again, he does. He can't name the six types of special use airspace. Special use airspace are prohibited, restricted, warning, military operations, alert, and national security areas. And a seventh, controlled firing areas, is not charted. So again, try to get away from charts. Here comes the third question. So the third question they asked: What are the operational limitations of a pilot flying under basic med? Senator, I'm not a pilot. He said, "Okay, all right, I'm not a pilot. Obviously." You'd oversee the federal the F, the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. So any idea what what those restrictions are under basic med? He said. So Washington said, well, some of those restrictions I think would be high blood pressure. Some of them would be, and then and Bud interrupts him and says, it's more like how many passengers per plane and how many pounds per different categories and what altitude you can fly under and, and amounts of amount of knots. It's under two hundred fifty knots, so it's not having anything to do with blood pressure, sir. And so what what a relief to find out, I guess, that uh, Washington is not a pilot. So I, I guess he's not a pilot. So this guy's not a pilot. Well, we know that, okay? But he's going to be running the agency that oversees all the civilian pilots operating in the U.S. So maybe he should brush up a little bit on this stuff. I don't know. Again, this is incompetency, again, on full display. This is what we talked about, incompetency on full display. And I, I just think it's it's important that we understand that, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be said of this. I mean, no, Biden's incompetency, and we went over all of this. His, his cabinet is loaded with incompetent people, and now he wants another incompetent person. He wants another. He wants another Alejandro Mayorkas. He wants another guy like Mayorkas to be up here. Okay, yeah, another guy, or maybe like Pete Buttigieg. Okay, you know, a guy that's going to blame blame the disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, is you know, on the fact they don't have a they claim the solution is more government regulation or Mayorkas that the. You know, an open border is a secure board. I mean, these are the, this is the, this is the drivel that's coming from these incompetent people. And so what they do is they put this guy in charge of the FAA who doesn't know basic questions about anything on this stuff. So then the guy gets a fourth question, again, to try to test his knowledge of basics, but that didn't go well either. Can you tell me what causes an aircraft to spin or to stall? Again, I'm not a pilot. I, look, I can, I'm going to guess this, uh, before I, before I look at the answer. But I think it has to do with airspeed and obviously has to do with airspeed and it shouldn't have to do with fuel and airspeed. I think that's going to cause something there. Okay. But the, again, to not, to not know what causes a plane to spin or just stall is again, one of Washington's roughest is mission because again, most middle school science classes discuss the principles of flight. And that was what I thought was interesting. Okay. And we all know that. I think it, it had to do with, you know, airspeed and I guess fuel intake and so forth. But the whole idea, the whole idea that air needs to be moving over a wing at a certain speed, here we go, to generate enough to sustain it. So that's what I just said without looking at the answers. So I guess I'm smarter than a fifth grader, okay, because again, it's the fifth grade question. So they asked this guy another question, okay? And uh, again, again, see how well this one goes. So Bud asks another question. What are the three aircraft certifications the FAA requires as part of the manufacturing process? Again, what I would say to that is that one of my first priorities would be to fully implement that certification act and report. And but and of course the guy says the senator from North Carolina says, well you know the three types. And Washington says, no I don't. And so the senator says, well that that's type certificate 
production certificate and airworthiness certificate. Okay, well, let's just keep going and see if we can get lucky here. <laughs> so Washington, I guess they didn't think that was good. Here goes the sixth question for Washington. So Bud says, can you tell me what the minimum separation distance is for landing and departing airliners during the daytime? Now, I'm going to, again, I, I don't know what that is because I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. Again, I don't want to guess on it. He goes, and Washington says, I don't want to guess on that, Senator. Well, here on our show, I guess I'll guess on it. I want to say the minimum separation distance for landing and departing airliners during the daytime has got to be, I, you know, I mean, again, landing and departing. So I'm going to say it's got to be at least four or five miles. Okay. That, that's my guess. We'll see here. And uh, so, all right, well, let's hope guessing isn't how Washington plays. By the way, to administer his FAA if he's nominated and approved. But again, uh, the seventh and final attempt, again, by, by Bud was to find an area of aviation safety or FAA regulations that Washington talk about. And that failed, again, because he asked about drone regulations. Are you familiar with the difference between Part 107 and Part 44809 when it comes to unmanned aerial standards? Again, Washington says, no, I'm not. I can't spell that out, but it's okay. So again, just summing it up here, the guy that Biden wants to put in charge the FAA doesn't know what the FAA requires for, for aircraft identification and tracking. So now the FAA delineates airspace over the U.S. That's the, that's the, that, that is the significance of it. It's the FAA that was in charge of the, well, look, uh, you know, again, it delineates the airspace over the U.S., like the, you know, the Chinese spy balloon. Okay. We all remember that. So the FAA's medical standards require how airplanes stall, how the FAA certifies. Again, what the FAA's medical standards require, how airplanes stall and how FAA certifies airplanes, how the FAA separates aircraft around airports, or how the FAA regulates drones, at least Washington wasn't willing to guess on how much distance is required. Hey, lady. Now, I did guess on our show here, but I can, I can do that. And, uh, I thought it was interesting, but you know, Biden's pick basically showed himself to be uh, another incompetent person with no qualification. You know, and again, the, the, the senator, you know, the senators are basically quipping along with with undercutting, uh, with with the with, with the supercut of Washington's going over seven in response to this question. And, you know, can't have an FAA administrator who needs who needs on the job training. They said, <laughs> I I, don't, I think that's classic. I love it. You can't have an FAA administrator. Yeah, that's uh, needs on the job training. It's just interesting. I mean, I I just think it's telling that I mean, this is why, why is he putting this guy in charge? Because it's political payback. We see this all the time, and we see this all the time. And I just think it's important that we understand what happens in politics is the payback, is the quid pro quo. Again, Latin for something for something. I just think it's telling. I mean, I I just think it's telling. And, and you know, we we understand what Americans want. What do what do Americans want? You know, what are Americans looking for? What does America need? America needs leadership. America needs leadership. You know, and this is what we need, okay? And, and again, we want we want an economic and we want economic and military supremacy in this country. That's what we want. And again, that's that's a tradition that we can say we, we want here in this country. And uh I think it's 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 a laudable goal for us. But I mean economic and military supremacy, that assures that we'll be here a hundred years from now. What we want is we want government to establish economic and military supremacy. We want government to do what they're supposed to do. Let's protect this people with the military that's unmatched to none and an economy that's second to none. We want secure borders and law and order. That's what we want. I mean, Mayor Lightfoot just lost her seat in, in Chicago. Well, why did she lose her seat in Chicago? What is it about Lori Lightfoot? I mean, what, why, why did she lose her seat? Because people in Chicago are sick and tired 
of the of the law and dis, of the lawlessness and disorder that's going on in the city. Gang violence is out of control. Murders up 40-50%. Violent crimes up 50-60%. You know, and, and of course the district attorneys aren't prosecuting anybody. They're busy trying to pass laws that, you know, let people out of jail, okay? Or to 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 lessen sentences on criminals. But then you've got these people that claim our border secure, you know, it's not secure. So the same people claiming the border secure with nearly 3 million people coming over in two years. Those same people that are missing that are also the ones that are trying to call lawlessness and disorder in our communities, trying to call that as the new norm, okay? Then, of course, we want the best education. I mean, right now, I mean, I heard some statistics out of some of the, like the city of Baltimore and the city of Chicago. The literacy rates are unbelievably low. I mean, there was 23 schools, I think, in the city of Baltimore, 23 schools, and they did not have one single child who could read proficiently. Not one shot who could read proficiently. So why don't we just say it wasn't 10% could read proficiently and 90% could not. Why don't we just say it wasn't 10%, it wasn't 5%, it wasn't one child in 23 schools in Baltimore. This is the broken education system Democrats have given us in our schools, in our, in our cities. This is what they're giving us. Lawlessness, disorder, and a horrible education. What future do these kids, what could they possibly have with, with a horrible education that they're getting right now? And, you know, we see this all the time. They're not educating our kids. You know, I was on the phone the other day with somebody who's, you know, trying to do something in the in the in their in her head, trying to figure something out, and and she couldn't figure it out in her head. She goes, "I can't do math. I can't do math in my head." And you know, it's like trying to figure out. I mean, you get. I think they, uh, you know, if you're trying to figure out something, a basic math equation. It's all it was. It's basic math. It was just a basic math equation, and she couldn't do it. And and it's like you know, trying to figure things out. They we don't have people coming out of schools anymore that can figure out problems. They they don't figure. They can't find. They can't solve problems. They don't know how to do it. Now. So we don't have the best education. We used to, but we don't. Since we brought on the Department of Education, which, by the way, the Democrats gave us the Department of Education. So since we've got the Department of Education in 1977, our education system has gone complete, literally. And now our kids can't read and write, and it's really tragic. They can't. And, you know, the significance of that is tremendous. Think about it. They can't structure emails. They can't They can't sentence structure. They, they can't read. They can't write. <clears throat> they can't ascertain the meaning of words. You know, in an honest media, what's really interesting, I got into this earlier in the show about the media, you know, and how the media right now is is basically uh, uh, not trustworthy. The, the new poll state, the corporate media is going easy on Biden. They, 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 like six, nearly 60% right now believe that the media is biased. I mean, we used to have a media that helped bureaucrats to, to account. You know, why is it we have all these problems right now in this country? And I mean, do Californians know? I mean, do they really understand the consequence of outlawing gas cars in 11 years? Do they understand the consequence of that? The California's up. Do the, does the media bring this out? Does the media bring out this consequence? Are they out there bringing their experts out there, parading their experts out there and showing everybody, you know, what could happen if you try to outlaw gas cars in California? I don't think they are. I mean, they're hiding, they're covering up for politicians with brain damage from strokes. We see that in here in Pennsylvania. I mean... Most of the state did not know Fetterman had a stroke. Only informed voters did. I would say half of the people that voted, maybe more than half of the people that voted in this last election did not know Fetterman had a stroke at all. Even after watching the guy try to structure sentences on the debate, they didn't put it together, if they even watched it. And then 25% of those voters, or 30% of those voters, actually voted early. So they voted before they saw all this stuff come out. Their plan was to, for Fetterman to you know, to get as many early votes as possible, then they have the debate, have everybody vote against it. But by then, 
a million people already voted. This is what the real tragedy is. The media did not do their job uncovering this. And now what's going on with Fetterman? We talked about it earlier in our show. What's going on with Fetterman? I mean, how's the guy introduced legislation while he's in the hospital? I mean, who's talking to this guy? Who's talked to him at all? Who put out the legislation? Who's who's co-sponsoring anything? It, it all comes down to where's the media in helping Americans, Pennsylvanians, understand what's going on with their senator? I mean, you've got something very obvious going on here. And no one, and I mean no one, is trying to reveal, is trying to uncover this. No one. And it's, it's really distressing to me because we see this. I mean, I, who's going to believe that this guy co-sponsored a bipartisan legislation to approve freight safety standards? Who believes that? Who believes he could read a sentence? You know, and, and nobody in his office is letting him come to the phone. I mean, who's talking to this guy? Who's running the office? Who's selling off on, the, on this guy's efforts? Who's doing this? Because I don't think it's John Fetterman. Okay. And, and again, where's the media on this? Where is the media on this? And this is the stuff I want you to understand, folks, that we have to understand. The media used to call that out. They used to call that out. You know, showing a politician's, I want to say his weaknesses, but basically vulnerabilities. If a politician was vulnerable to, you know, Chinese spies or, you know, corruption or whatever, when they let people in that have vulnerabilities, whatever their vulnerabilities, these people get power. They become corrupted by that power in some way, compromised. And our national security is compromised in some way. For a guy like Fetterman to be elected, for a guy like O'Biden to be elected, our national security is being compromised, folks. Don't miss that. And the media is missing this. They're just, they're absent without leave. They're not reporting. They're letting people get elected. They're letting people get elected without debates. Think about that. We actually had a governor elected in the state of Pennsylvania. There was no debate. There was no debate with Mastriano. All that how that even occurred is beyond me. It's beyond me. But folks, what this country wants is leadership. And what we need is leadership. We want to get our stock market back on track with record highs. That's what we want. We want trade deals that benefit this country. We want to increase consumers' confidence again and drop gas prices down to where they were back in 2018. We want to increase our, we want to be the number one oil producer in the world again. We were already. We want to do that again. We want to see increased wages like we once did. We want to see that again. Folks, we have to leave it there. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for being with us today and spending time with us today with your day on Saturday and every Saturday right here on AM Radio 11 AWFYL. See you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.